How you guys doing? I think we're in various states of disrepair, but uh, <laughs> we're hanging in there. No different than the beginning of any other episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's comforting to know. Four nerds in their 30s, each with family and job responsibilities. Time is limited, money is limited, maturity is setting in. But there's always time for a little lunch. Pull up a chair and open up your brown paper bag. Nerd Lunch is beginning now. Six months ago, three bloggers were sent to prison by an internet court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the internet underground. Today, still wanting to be internet celebrities, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you are bored, if no one else can entertain you, and if you can find them on iTunes, then maybe you can enjoy the Nerd Lunch team. I'm your host this week, Jeej Bad Attitude Barakas. For a very special episode of the Nerd Lunch Podcast, let's see who else is riding around in the GMC Vandura van with me. First up, in shotgun seat, is my colleague from the Nerd Lunch blog, a man who probably took up smoking cigars this week for this very episode, Carlin Hannibal Trammell. Good morning, CT. Good morning. You're right. I, uh, I do have a bunch of cigars. I'm sitting here. I'm making plans. I'm wearing my black leather gloves, and I am uh, ready to uh, give you directions to drive through that plate glass window. So let's step on it. That's the only way to enter a building, really, is driving through the plate glass window. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> in, the, in the back, we've got one of our other regulars on this show from the Cavalcade of Awesome and fresh from the cleaners with his leather jacket with the giant tiger face on the back of it is Howlin' Mad Paxton Holly. What up, guys? I'm just sitting here with the fridge and uh, Hulkster, and we're looking for <laughs> children's homes that need rescuing. So if you guys if you guys have any tips of children's homes, we're, we're going to rescuing them. Oh, you guys are going to be busy, I think. Yes. In this economy, yes. <laughs> yeah, you might want to pick up some donations for uh, Hogan while you're out driving around because he's on hard times. <laughs> he may need help also. Help also. And finally, our guest for this week, returning to the Nerd Lunch podcast from the Strange Kids Club, is our resident expert on Cylons and a man who looks great in a suit, Rondel Faceman Scott. What's up, Rondel? What's up? I thought you guys said you were going to have a full feature-length mirror in this van. I don't see any mirror. I can't see myself. It's actually on the <laughs> ceiling. You need to look up. <laughs> what the what? <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here, guys. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Rondel. You're not allowed to talk, CT. You're not the host. (laughs) (laughs) So before we uh, dive into the the meat of our topic this week, Rondel, is there there anything going on over the Strange Kids Club that you want to talk about either in the near future or recent things you'd like to highlight for us? Definitely. You know, we're always doing strange things over there. We... uh, We've actually got a, a new T-shirt that came out this past week um, in collaboration with uh, 8-Bit Zombie. Um, they're pretty pretty rad people over there. They do 80s nostalgia T-shirts for uh, video games. Um, so people can check that out at 8bitzombie.com. And we've also got a recent interview with Sam and Max creator Steve Purcell over at strangekidsclub.com. Um, funny-ass dude. He, uh, of course, did Sam and Max, and he's actually working on the, the Brave that's coming out here pretty soon from Disney. Uh, pretty interesting guy. And while people are there, they can check out the Goon Movie Petition 
and sign that, or they'll get a knife to the eye. <laughs> that's one way to get audience participation. Yeah. Well, that sounds cool. Those Sam and Max games were were fun. I had a nice sense of humor in those things. I always enjoyed. I'm not really a big uh, platformer kind of guy, but I I enjoyed those. Yeah, he's actually a, a pretty interesting guy. I, I knew him mostly through Sam and Max, and didn't even realize that he did voice work on uh, Cars and. Uh, actually co-directed uh the upcoming brave um film from disney so he's a pretty interesting dude cool well without further ado we are going to move into the main topic of tonight's episode um and if you didn't figure it out from the text that's all over the episode in your podcasting software or our clever introductions we are talking about the a-team this week and that's your main reason why I'm hosting, because CT, if you've followed him for more than like 10 minutes on Twitter, you probably know that he is an expert on the A-team. So we wanted to give him room to run on this one. So I'm behind the wheel of the Vandura to take us through this episode. So we're going to start off by talking about the original TV show. And for uh, people that were not alive in the 80s or under a rock or something, uh, A-team was uh, created by Frank Lupo and Stephen J. Cannell, who was... Uh, a legendary uh, TV show producer and creator, Rockford Files, wise guy, Riptide, Hunter. Uh, I think he did 40-something TV shows during his time. Uh, and it premiered in early 1983 with an episode, and then its second episode was right after the Super Bowl of that month. Ended up getting five seasons, although that final season is uh, a little odd, and we'll get into that a bit later. So the premise of the show is you've got four Vietnam vets who are on the lam as sort of guardian angels, soldiers of fortune after they are convicted uh, of a crime that they did not commit, as it told you at the beginning of every episode, uh, featuring George Papard as Hannibal and Dirk Benedict as the sort of smooth-talking uh, ladies' man, uh, face man. The, the crazy Dwight Schultz is their gonzo pilot, Murdoch. And, of course, Mr. T as the team's muscle and wheel man, B.A. Baracus. And so this show ended up being one of those legendary kinds of things like Dukes of Hazard or Knight Rider that uh, people of our age uh, have fond memories of became really iconic of that decade. So we're going to start off with that, being that uh, we were all growing up at that time. What was your first exposure to the A-Team? Were you on board from day one? And we'll start with, with the super fan CT. I don't think I was on board from day one, but I, I, do, remember, I do remember trying to, um, wanting to watch the show. I think there were, there were some toys early on that I was attracted to. I did have an A-Team lunchbox. Um, so there was, a light, there was some merchandise that was sort of the initial exposure um, that I was initially exposed to. Um, but... I when I was uh, a wee lad when this was originally on, we were actually still uh, living uh, in South Carolina in the Eastern Time Zone, and the A Team was actually on uh. after my bedtime. So I never got to watch this during the first um, year or so, year or two probably of the show, uh, or very rarely. I mean, I think I would see maybe the beginning of of occasional episodes, and so I remember that when we moved to Illinois. Uh, in the summer of 84 that that was one of the big deals to me was I was going to finally be able to stay up and watch or I was finally going to be able to watch the A-Team because it was going to be on before my bedtime and um, that probably would have been like season 3 or 4 and uh, I don't remember a particular standout episode I do remember particular episodes that I saw in the first run 
um, including all the way up through the, um, the, the fifth season. And, uh, so I, you know, I was, I was there from the beginning. It was, um, definitely a show that, uh, that I have a great nostalgia for, but I have continued to watch it and, uh, still love it to this day. Was it a metal lunchbox? That's really the key question. No, no, it was oh, not. It was, no. It's a plastic lunchbox that I, that I do still have, and there is a picture of it on the Nerd Lunch blog. And uh, maybe we'll use that image again for, the, uh, for this podcast uh, post. But uh, it, it is not one of the metal ones, but it is great art. It's got a, the painted, illustrated art. Uh, it has Amy on the front of it, so it's got to be from the first year or so. And uh, I, I still do love it. Nice. How about you, Pax? What was where did you get on board with the original A Team show? Um, I think I, I mean, I vaguely remember watching it. it. It wasn't like appointment TV for me, but whenever it was on, I always was glued to the TV, and I probably started picking it up maybe late second season, probably third, definitely third and fourth season. Um, the things I remember most, like BA, obviously was a big one. And, and I remember all the guest stars, like which they came in in the third and fourth season. Like they had Hulk Hogan on and I was a big wrestling fan. So I loved it when he came on, they had William, the refrigerator Perry. And it was just stuff like that, that they did. And I, I really enjoyed, you know, the whole, they come up with this plan and build something and everything. And it was just such an interesting show and a lot of fun. And I loved the intro. I mean, the intro was just hyped me up and I still have the song on my iPod that I listen to when I run. <laughs> And it's, and when that one comes on, I use it at the end of my run, and it's just like I'm tearing through. It's awesome. So I mean, yeah, I was I was a huge fan when it came on. And I'll just take the opportunity to chime in there. I think I'm pretty much right in line with you guys. I think I came in third or fourth season, not at the very beginning. And for me, I think it was the build up to WrestleMania with Mr. T and Hulk Hogan doing all their thing on uh, the wrestling programming from WWF that I was watching that got me interested in seeing more of this Mr. T guy. Um, and so probably that third or fourth season is where I hopped on as well. And I don't know why I wasn't watching before then. I lived in the central time zone, so I didn't have bedtime issues like CT did, but somehow I, I didn't latch onto this immediately. How about you, Rondell? Where did you come on, come into the A team? Well, I guess I'm the late bloomer of the group because I didn't start watching it until I think it was the early 2000s when it was in uh, reruns on TV Land, no doubt. Mm. And uh, <laughs> and I mean, the same story about as you guys. You know, I started about the third season. Um, I think the first episode I watched it had um, it didn't have Hulk Hogan in it, but I remember it had mobsters in it, and they had. Um, they had kidnapped somebody because, you know, that's, of course, what mobsters do. They kidnap people and they kill people. <laughs> so, so, of course, you know, I, you know, that got me into the show. And then I started seeing, uh, you know, the guest appearances by, you know, Hulk Hogan and, and different wrestlers and 80, 80s icons. And that, you know, really got me hooked on the show. And then, of course, you know, I started watching uh, because of uh, Murdoch. I just I couldn't get enough of him. You know, he's. Kind of like the the Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to, of describing him. And since you brought it up, so was he absolutely your favorite cast member? Then he's, he was, he's what drew you in. But uh, did he end up being your favorite after you watched more of the show? Oh, without a doubt, man. I mean, anytime you have a character that has an imaginary pet, um, I think what, what was it? Was it Billy the dog? Like, Billy the Dog. <laughs> Whenever you have a character that can do that and, and just 
he, you know, he was into cartoons and video games and was just a nut, you know, and of course that just, that, that did it for me. So yeah, but he was definitely, no doubt, my favorite character of the show. How about you, CT? Was, was it Billy the dog that did it for you? Billy the dog <laughs> is my favorite character of the show. <laughs> um, uh, no, hands down, I don't know if it was always the case, but I did all, I have always liked uh, Hannibal, but t- my current favorite cast member, and probably until I die, will be Hannibal Smith. Uh, he is, um, he is like, to me, he is on the same level as Batman. I know that fans are probably, uh, listeners of the podcast right now are probably shutting this off right now and <laughs> calling that heresy, but no, he is, he is on that same level of like, Batman and James Bond, and he is one of those characters that, to me, is um, the model of perfection. He is like what I wish I could be, uh, in that he has thought everything out. He has these perfect plans. You know, it's only it, only, it can only happen in fiction, of course. You know, where he has he, it's almost like he's gotten bored because he has he has to plan a point in time where they get kidnapped or caught so that he can complicate things for himself so that they can get out of those jams and um and he's very cool and never gets angry never gets uh never gets upset upset never uh, loses his cool with anybody just always has that uh, cheesy hannibal smile on his face and nothing ever uh, messed him up or shook him up and uh he he to me is the the best yeah i will second you on that i i love that character and it's the the unflappability of him where no matter what happens, he's actually enjoying it. Like they could be <laughs> yes. being lowered into a cauldron of boiling oil and he would be happy about it. Like, you know, and that is just the coolest. And just like you said, CT, like that's the guy I wish I was in uh, situations. So I, I've, I've come around to your way of thinking. I think probably BA was my favorite character when I was a kid. Um, but uh, definitely Hannibal is now. How about you, Pax? Yeah, like everyone else, I think B.A. is the entry point because visually he's just so different. And uh, But he quickly became the least interesting to me. Um, like you guys, I have a special affinity for Hannibal just because of his planning and he was just unflappable. But if I had to pick a favorite character, it was probably Howling Mad just because he was so random. Like the, the humor with him was just so random and especially when they had people come in that meet him for the first time and just some of the stuff he says is completely like off the wall and the people are like, what? And the other guys just laugh. And it was just stuff like that that I thought was just hilarious. Yeah, and, and, no, and let, me, let me add that there's no slight. Like Hannibal's my favorite, but I, I do love Murdoch and I do love Face. And I, and I do love B.A., although he probably at this point is my least favorite of the four. But um, I... The the whole uh, chemistry to me is um, yeah. of the cast is is what makes makes that show or one of the things that makes that show. So I I do love all of the characters. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, CT. Like you said, the chemistry makes a show, and I agree. The ensemble and the casting of these four actors is really what sealed the deal. I think, but sort of what what is the magic of this show? Like, what is the thing that made it be so popular i mean it was in the top 10 tv shows there for a couple seasons and and helped it st- stand the test of time what do we think some of those key elements are welding is it welding certainly it's wel- welding is <laughs> at least number two or three on the list but. yeah how good how good enough <laughs> <laughs> making tanks out of tractors you know all that sort of thing <laughs> giant fruit need- launchers yeah <laughs> yeah you kind of had a, a a good mix there, you know. Like you said, you had Hannibal that was almost like the 
uber MacGyver of the team, and then you had the the muscle. You know, you had Mr. T's, just a personality in himself, and you know, I I don't know. I, I can't say what Face did. Face was just kind of there for me. He didn't he didn't do much to me. But then you know, you, then you had Murdoch, which was the you know the class clown. But it was just merging all those personalities together, you know. Yeah, I think it was just it was a fun show, and and that probably like when it gets right down to it, that's that's what it was. It was just it was there was some complexity there. I think that was very subtle, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, you didn't get like hit over the head with the the complex uh, character of Murdoch and Hannibal. But I think there are some there. I think there's a lot of stuff that you can kind of like dig in deep and try and figure out who they are. But that's not like handed to you on a platter. Really, it's like the the average viewer is just like watching like a Robin Hood sort of situation where they're stealing from the rich and giving back to the poor or whatever the situation would be. And it, it, it's very, um, very escapist and very fun and very um, um, even though it was a violent show at the time it was still like that fun violence and there was no um, real serious injury. So I think there was even an aspect of like, oh, we'll let the kids watch it too. So I think that helped play into it. Yeah, and it was definitely, like you said, CT, the interplay between the team was, for me, what made it. And all the all the stuff that they did together, like, you know, Murdoch and B.A. hated each other for a while. And then all the machinations they did to get B.A. on a plane every episode or, or, or Hannibal coming up with the plan and everyone else think he's, thinking he's crazy. And like, that'll never work. And even though it works every single episode, um, they still don't believe it's going to work. I mean, it's that, that kind of interplay between all the four guys, most especially, was what really worked for me. Well, that's sort of the height of uh, episodic TV, right? Where B.A. doesn't know they put something in his milk, <laughs> even though they just put something in his milk a week ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and, yeah, and they would do things. They would, like, they would kind of play on that where like he, there was one time where they were eating hamburgers. You know, Hannibal brings the hamburgers. And he's, of course, plotted it out. He knows exactly which hamburger B.A. is going to take. And, <laughs> you know, it's like that scene from Princess Bride, you know, where like they're figuring out which drink they're going to take. And. But but you know B A like no you you've drugged one of these I'm not gonna I'm gonna eat your hamburger and of course Hannibal knows that and that's the one that's drugged so yeah and there there was one like I think Murdoch came up to him and like head butted him or hit him in the head and like like it was actually gonna knock him out and B A turned around to look at him and that's when Face came up behind him and smacked him with like a hammer or something yeah. and knocked him out I mean it was just ridiculous and awesome ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't get that kind of programming on TV anymore you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about the the core cast members and they were clearly what the show was about though they were not the only regulars on the show there were what uh in the pre-show notes i called non-core uh members of the cast um and these were the characters of uh amy allen and then really her analog that replaced her later tanya baker um they also added a character frankie uh late in the show and then uh, in the fifth season, uh, Hunt Stockwell became sort of the the boss of the A-team. Um, what are your thoughts on any of those? Especially, I guess, uh, Amy and, and Tanya, they sort of worked at that twice. So they clearly wanted to get a woman on the show and, and add, I don't know, an everyman or something to the cast. Um, but what, what do you think about those non-core members, especially the two ladies? We'll go with you first, Pax. Um, mainly talking about the ladies, I, I knew, and, and it's weird because I, I don't remember, 
um, the second girl. I, I know Amy Allen, and and that may may be mostly because I've I revisited season one um, most recently, and uh, and some of the other ones like she I mean she didn't show up, in, and I don't really remember the second one as much. But I really liked Amy Allen, especially in those first early episodes, and I, I liked that character, and I kind of. I, I, I too wanted like a girl kind of revolving around the team, like maybe as a point of contact or something, because I, I, I see it as analogous to kind of like Knight Riders, like Bonnie the Mechanic or something like that. And I like those kind of characters, and I just think it's neat to have them there. And I, I liked Amy, and I wish they would have kept that character in. How about you, CT? I'm sure you have profound thoughts on Amy Allen. Of course I do. <laughs> so I, I agree with Pax. I think that Amy, at the start of the show, was a great character because she completely buys into the A-team. So for the first, uh, and I think the first season was only like 12 or so episodes. So the first, maybe only the first half to, to two-thirds of the, of the first season, she is completely on board. And there's an episode late in the first season where almost like a switch flips and she does no, she, it's like, almost like she no longer believes in them. She's no longer enamored with them. And I think it's when they like destroy her car, and so, like she, from that point on, she is like the, oh you guys, oh like she isn't, she is like she's just that voice of like annoyance of like, oh I can't believe you guys are gonna do this, and and had to go. She had to go at that point. Um, but I loved I loved the beginning when she was she completely bought in. I've made the comparison before of like the the female character. Um, we talked about Veronica Mars before. I think somebody like a Veronica Mars female character could have worked with the A team. Could have been that like um, point of contact or the non you know the person who's not on the run um, who can kind of like get them things and help them out. Um, so I I think that character could have worked, but I know there were some behind the scenes issues, uh, certainly with George Papard. And uh, him not wanting to have women on the show. Um, so anyways, that that all led to Amy Allen leaving. They tried it again very briefly with Tanya Baker. There wasn't... She was sort of a non-factor. She really didn't do a whole lot. So um, I, and she wasn't there. For, I think she was there for part of the second season and then very beginning of third and then she was gone. So we'll come back I, I, to if... Uh if they needed that character, if that could have made a difference in the long run. But what about you, Rondell? Do you have any memories of Amy Allen or sort of the, the fifth wheel characters of the show? <laughs> I, um, I don't remember Tanya too much. I do remember Amy and, and, and you know, I remember liking her as well until she got to the kind of quirky, awkward stage. I also remember probably more, um, I think it was, was it Ty Curry that was in the, I think she was in like one or two episodes in the fifth season. Tia Carrera was in the fourth season finale and was yeah, going yeah. to join the cast, but did not. I, I mean, I like the concept, you know, like you were talking about Veronica Mars of having that female character in there, almost like an Oracle or something, you know, like Batman has Oracle. Yeah. Um, I, I like the thought of that just to kind of mix it up a little bit. I actually liked, I think with uh, Ty Curry, they ended up replacing her what her role would have been with uh, Frankie Santana. I think he came in the fifth season, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The dishpan man. <laughs> yeah. Pac sounds excited about Frankie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I assume we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of liked him. I thought he was a little bit different. He wasn't, I don't, I don't, 
I don't know if he really fit in with everybody else, but he was different. And I like the fact that they were trying to kind of branch out a little bit, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think every now and again you need to go outside of that, that core group to kind of keep things interesting. And I think they did that with, you know, varying degrees of success. I like that you brought up the Oracle idea because as uh, CT and I rewatched a good chunk of this when we were in college. I think, what was it, FX had the syndication rights at that point, CT? Can you remember? Uh, I don't remember. What, I don't it was remember. On, it was on TV like USA every or afternoon or something. Like that, yeah. um, and so I remember when the Amy Allen character disappeared and I was thinking, eh, no great loss, but trying to conceptualize what she would have done had she had stuck around. And that Oracle role, like you mentioned, Rondell, was about the only kind of missing piece of the of the team that i could immediately see i don't know if there's something else you could have uh her do but that was what came to my mind as well yeah i mean i think that you know for you know if the the female role isn't going to work as as part of the lead group you know i think that's the best way to kind of insert that and still have that that presence there you know whether it's hooking them up with you know big ass bazookas or getting them their next assignment you know you know what i mean yeah well she played a good role in the like the like i was saying the first season the very beginning or the first half or so um she was she was involved in a lot of like the cons that face would pull you know he would they'd walk in and they were pretending to be a married couple and Mm -hmm. she filled that role of you know we need for this con we need a female uh to fill this role and uh so i mean i think there's there was stuff she could have done and i think that um even as they went on, like Colonel Decker, I think said something to, to her in a, in a scene, like we're on to you. We know that you're helping these guys. And I think she would have probably eventually had to have been on the run as well. She could not have realistically continued to be, uh, you know, a legitimate, uh, real citizen, not on the run with these guys. (laughs) Maybe that was where they were going when they destroyed her car is to give her no, no other options. I'm sure Hannibal had a plan. I'm sure he did. So Rondel mentioned Tia Carrere and uh, the fifth season came up a little bit. So let's let's turn our attention to that. A couple of these characters that I mentioned, Frankie and, and Hunt Stockwell, uh, came about in the fifth season. Um, the, the ratings had started flagging uh, in the fourth season a bit. And so they decided they were going to do a bit of a retooling, maybe revitalize things for the, the fifth season of the show. And uh, it did not work. Um, but uh, CT, can you quickly summarize sort of what the what the twist was on the fifth season to sort of uh, turn things around? Sure. Well, to, to reference Tia Carrera, she was the daughter of General um, Fulbright, who was the guy who was chasing him in the fourth season. They had he had kind of tricked them into um, say, you know saying like we'll get you we'll give you a free a full pardon if we go over to um, Vietnam and do this one last mission together and it was like his him tricking them into working for him he wound up getting he wound up being like one of the only guys ever shot and killed on the show and uh, it turned out they were trying to re- he was trying to rescue his daughter so she was supposed to hang out with them and be a member of the team and give the team a sort of a fresh perspective and that did not work out <clears throat> so instead. Um, there was a three-parter at the beginning of the fifth season where the A-team, who are now mysteriously joined by a special effects expert um, named Frankie Dishpan Santana, um, they are captured. The three the three main guys of the team are captured, and um, 
It turns out to be this big ruse by General Hunt Stockwell, played by Robert Vaughn, who um, was going to have them sort of in his personal back pocket to perform missions for him, him or the government or whatever, however he saw it uh, work out. So they were essentially, um, it, their deaths were faked, like they were executed, but it was uh, not real. And they were um, then under the employ of Stockwell and were going to be sent on these missions. And missions they were sent on. Yes. <laughs> but yes. many fewer people were watching those missions at this point. <laughs> um, and so if I recollect correctly, the fifth season ended up being like a half a season, like 12 or 14 episodes or something like that. Uh, uh, I think it went like 19. It, was, it wasn't a full season, but it was more than like a half. Oh, I th- what, maybe it was that it, they made it through half and then they ended up shelving some episodes and coming back much later with them. Something there was like that, yeah. something weird in how it aired. Um, but uh, the the show did not make it. The retooling did not help the ratings, and uh, it was uh, canceled after that fifth season. So let's talk about uh, sort of a what the problems were in the retooling, and what could they have done instead to sort of make this thing work. We'll we'll start with you, Pax. Um, yeah, season five, so many issues. But um, I think part of the I, I think part of the like Robert Vaughn is terrible. Just I don't like him in anything. I mean, the only thing I think I've ever liked him in, I think he played pretty good in basketball. Oh, that, well, that was Superman three? You didn't like him in that? No, no, not really. Man, man from Uncle? <laughs> yeah, nope, nope. <laughs> so those like, lawyer commercials that he does. He, he is like the least. No, he's terrible. He's he's terrible. I appreciate what they were trying to do with Dishpan, and that actually the first three story arc in the beginning of season five, I actually really like those. Those are good episodes. The character of Dishpan, I just, I didn't like it felt. And I think it was more of a, the core team. And then this guy just coming in as like an interloper kind of a guy. And I was like, he wasn't part of the A team, but he was trying to be a part of the A team. And it's just my own thing where like, he's not one of the A teams. So I did, I didn't like him hanging around, um, um, the core, the core group. And, uh, I mean, as far as some of the episodes, I mean, <laughs> and the last episode kind of sums up how bad that whole season is. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, this, the episodes were not written as well. Some of the stuff they were trying to do. I mean, the last episode involved like nursing home people um, coming together. I mean, it was just it's just not good. And, and I can see why. I can see what they were trying to do, but there was just not enough there. I, I think they were. It was a sinking ship at that point. Rondell, your thoughts on season five? I I could appreciate what they were trying to do. I, I kind of got almost like a Suicide Squad kind of vibe. You know, they're they're still wanted, and then at the same time, you know, Stockwell's kind of blackmailing them to do with you know his dirty deeds kind of thing. You know, I, just just like Pax, you know, I'm not a big Robert Vaughn fan, so it just it didn't it didn't click for me. But I think you know, looking back, I think maybe if they had done it closer in style maybe to like a burn notice um kind of storyline you know with the hyping up the political intrigue maybe and and maybe some mission impossible kind of missions as opposed to some of the the missions that they were actually put on you know would have would have helped boost that you know it would have made it more interesting kind of uh amping up the the ante a little bit and and Give them a little higher stakes to play for, but it just, you know, the the stories weren't as good, and the characters just, 
you know, it, it was time for it to go. That's an interesting point you raised, Ronald, because that's kind of what I thought. If you watch that first three-parter and you think, okay, well, now they're in the pocket of the military, so, like, they're going to have some insane missions. But, no, they're really kind of still helping the lettuce farmers and, you know, people that are running into the local crime syndicate or whatever. It it doesn't turn as much as you would expect when the premise is different. Yeah, you know, you can only, you know, beat down mobsters and and, and drug cartels so many times before you, you know, you got to take on the, the big dogs, you know? <laughs> the drug cartels are not big dogs. We we think you're big dogs, drug cartels, if you're listening. So don't not, not for the A team, man. <laughs> well, that's true. And was it was it season five where they actually tried to define the quote unquote crime they didn't commit and the crime they didn't commit was actually a crime they committed, they were just ordered to do it? Correct. That was five, right? Well yeah. they had they had already um they already explained that, but that was the first time we ever saw it was in five. Okay, that's right. All right. All right. CT, are you going to defend Robert Vaughn here? Well, no. Someone has to. Well, no. okay, Robert Vaughn. I'm fine with Robert Vaughn, actually. I, I, I'm, I don't mind him, and for what they were trying to do, I thought he was fine in the role. Uh, I'm not the hugest Robert Vaughn fan, but I don't mind him. He's, he's, he's fine. Um, but, I mean, do you want my thoughts on season five? Bring it. Yeah. Yes. Okay, my, my, here are my issues. One... Hannibal was no longer in charge. For, so for me, this completely betrayed the character of Hannibal. Mm-hmm. He had to be in charge. And so I could, yeah. and I could be fine with it if there was uh, like an end game. If I could see like a plan in place that Hannibal was like, like yes, I know guys, this, but we're working towards something. And this is a part of a bigger plan that I have. And this was before television was like that. This was before television was scripted out like – we know what's going to happen in the season finale. I mean, they did it very episodically. There was not like a, here's our 22-episode arc we're going to accomplish. So that that didn't happen, but I think it could have worked potentially if they were building to something, if there was a big end in sight, um, and Hannibal had to be at the center of that. But that was not going to happen because um, – the um, there was all this behind the scene tension as well because I guess George Papard and Mr. T by this point no longer got along. And if you watch season five, and Pax, you said you were just recently watching this, there are actually several scenes where um, they had to they had to film them like on separate days or separate occasions because you will not see Papard and T in the same shot. Huh. So. I did notice that, and but it never dawned on me that's what it was. That totally makes sense now. So that completely crippled the writers. The fun of the show was gone at that point. Um, but I'll echo what uh, Rondell was saying, I think Baby Pax was saying as well, was that the uh, individual missions, the scope was not big enough. It was not, um, they didn't have the budget or, or whatever, but I mean, they, they should have been doing like big time stuff. Like here is the freaking A team. Let's do something with them. And uh, it's like, let's go help out football players on another country or something. It was stupid stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, that's those were the issues. It could have worked, but it would have taken a lot. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I have one other. I have another thing that I think that I've always wanted to see on the A team, and I wish they had done it earlier. But I thought it worked in season five or moving on. I always wanted to see, like, they they were obviously disavowed. So I want to see the new A team, like the current A team, and the military sends them after the old A team. You know, so you have this group of other guys that are maybe just as good as that A team, and then they show they don't have to show up every week, but they could show up like a couple times a season, and then you know you have the 
the other version of Hannibal and the other version of BA <laughs> and just go against each other and just be like the Z team or something. You know, I, I just thought that I thought that'd be fun. That's a great idea. I'm trying to cast that in my head now. I think I have Lorenzo Lamas in here somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, any other thoughts you want to get out there about the original uh, TV show from the 80s before we move on to our next chunk here? Watch it. I mean, this the best ones to watch, first season, second season are probably my two favorite seasons. Three is a little bit tedious. And four, if you're into like the 80s nostalgia, that's where all the guest stars are. But I don't think the fourth season's as strong. I think the first two are, are hands down the best. If you're, yeah, if you're looking for stories, one and two, definitely. If you're looking for like watch an episode here, watch an episode there, and kind of get what the A-team like encapsulated, season four, the guest star episodes are great. And one more point that I want to make is if you happen to be watching, if you're flipping through the channels and you see that uh, this one of them was written by Stephen J. Cannell, stop what you're doing and watch that one. Like all the ones he wrote were the best. Totally agree with that. Agreed. All right. So let us move forward in time here. CT mentioned his lunchbox and there are, there are other A-team things floating around out there. But the big one um, was the movie that came out in 2010. So the show went off the air in 87 was the last time uh, it was on broadcast TV. It's been in reruns, obviously, since then. Uh, but a movie idea had been kicking around Hollywood since the 90s. Um, went through many sets of writers, maybe five or six <laughs> writers and scripts before things finally got on track in 2008. Um, with a new set of writers, ended up mailing out a script uh, Joe Carnahan was brought in to direct. Uh, Stephen J. Cannell and Ridley Scott, of all people, had producer credits on this movie. Uh, and it was released in the summer of 2010. Uh, unfortunately, it was not the runaway success that uh, everyone was hoping for. On a $110 million budget, it ended up pulling in worldwide gross of $177 million, which uh, if you're not up on your Hollywood math, that is not enough to get a sequel. Uh, and critically was not well received. It's got a 47% rating on Rotten Tomatoes it's, uh, uh, and took quite a beating from, from Ebert and, and other high-profile critics. So we'll get into our, our thoughts on the actual movie, but let's first talk about your, just your gut reaction when you heard that this movie was actually going to be made. So Rhonda, we'll start with you. What did you think? I don't know. I was I was on the fence. You know, like I said, I was kind of a, a late bloomer to the show, so it was still fresh in my mind, but it wasn't ingrained in me. I was excited, but I was I think I was more most skeptical of the of the, the casting and, and who was going to play who, because um, you know it's hard to replace those characters. Even coming in as late as I did, you you have a certain sense of you know, who those characters are because of the actors that played them, and. Um, so I, I was looking forward to it, but skeptical at the same time. All right. How about you, CT? Uh, yeah, this is one of those, like, one properties that are near and dear to my heart. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter, um, like, whether I think it could, literally, like, in my, in my head I know it could come out good in the end. Like, until I see it, I'm not going to believe that it's going to be any good. So I was very skeptical for a long time. 
Um, I'm even really uh, right up until seeing it. I, I was not um, not too keen on it just because I felt like they were going to mess it up. What about when the the casting news came out? Rondell talked about that. Did that give you more optimism or less? Um, I still had my doubts. I mean, I still I like you know for because to me it goes back to Hannibal, and I like Liam Neeson, but I was concerned that. He, he wasn't the right choice for that role, so um, we can get into that later. But I, I, I was, I was still skeptical. So it didn't sway you. Um, I mean, it was a better choice than some of the other names have been floated around. But yeah, I still, still unsure. All right, how about you, Pax? Uh, initial gut reaction was like, yes, this would make a great movie. But after that, it was like, I am very concerned they're going to screw this up, and I was like that. Even with the cast announcements, I thought Bradley Cooper was a great choice for face. But the other ones, I was like, I can't see Liam Neeson as Hannibal. It just it could not gel. And then the cast picture came out of them in front of the helicopter. And I was like, bam, they nailed it. And uh, I loved that cast picture. And with the first trailer, uh, I was sold. So um, I, w- I was all on once that cast picture came out. And I knew they were going in the right direction. Yeah, I think I had a similar reaction i'm more averse to reboots probably than than the rest of you guys like i i would be fine if they didn't do anything and you know if you look at uh oh things like dukes of hazard and whatnot you can see why that would be a bad idea um but like you were saying pax when i when i saw the cast photo i think i was on board at that point like i was i was looking forward to it and gonna give it a shot i wasn't confident it was gonna work but i was certainly on board at that point and so the actual movie, I'll just be up front and say, I loved it. I had a hell of a time. I went to the theater and saw it and came out smiling. Um, so I was kind of surprised when the overall reaction was pretty, pretty negative. Um, how about you guys? When you actually got around to seeing the final product, what were your, what were your thoughts? We'll go back to you, Pax. Yeah, I went in pretty hyped. And uh, it, it, for me, it, it delivered. I mean, they nailed the chemistry of the cast. I mean, those guys worked together very similar to how they did on the show. Very good playback. I actually liked how they set up the team to be the crime they didn't commit and everything. And they just worked really well together. I was really surprised with Liam Neeson and how he not only looked like Prepard, but he, he got the mannerisms down and and uh, how uh, what's his name? Rampage didn't just ape Mr. T. He kind of just homaged him a bit. Um, but that was my, my le- the least interesting character. So I, I, I also loved Charlotte. Charlotte Copley was awesome as Murdoch. So, I mean, it, they, they nailed the mannerisms of all the characters and I was, I was blown away. I loved that movie. How about you, Rhonda? What's your, what's your review? Um, I, I mean, about the same. I, I loved it. I think a lot of people, um, have compared it probably most to um to to something like the losers and for me i mean i can rewatch the 18 movie you know as many times as 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 i want but i can't rewatch a movie like the losers or anything like that so i was really surprised that you know like you said it got a like a 47 on rotten tomatoes when you know something like i don't know like team america got like a, a 76 i mean that's just I, I was really surprised like that, and I don't I don't know if you guys are Team America fans, but I'm not, and it it just really surprised me. So I, I felt that it captured the you know the heart of the TV series, 
you know, there was comedy, there was action. And especially being such a big Murdoch fan, you know, I thought that Charlotte did a, just an amazing job um, just capturing that insanity. And, uh, of course, Bradley Cooper is, you know, the perfect face. Um, Hannibal, I don't know. I, I think that, that he did a great job. But, I don't know, for me, he was still Liam Neeson as Hannibal. It wasn't Hannibal, if that makes sense. And, and you know... Uh, Rampage, I think, did a, a great job as, as B.A., but like you said, it's more of a, a minor character. He really didn't have a lot of um, standout appeal in the film itself. Um, and I loved, loved that they had Brian Bloom in there. Of course, to me, he's always going to be Major Dad, but just <laughs> the fact that they, you know, for, for me, it was more of that nostalgia factor. It was kind of like having a guest star in season four that they kind of tossed into the film. So, I loved it. It was great. Gerald McCraney will always be one of the Simon brothers to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeej, I'm shocked the, the tomato score you said because all the guys I know that I talked to love that movie. Even my wife loves the AT movie. She went and when I was telling her we were doing this subject, she she's like, "We need to get that again and watch it." I mean, that movie that movie's awesome, and I can't believe it has that low of a score. Those people it's got a wrong. much better. It's got a much better audience rating. It's like in the 70s in terms of, you know, amateur slash fan rating. Uh, but the critic rating is, is in the 40s. That's crazy. CT, you were probably maybe the most uh, reserved or had the most reservations uh, when you heard that they were doing the reboot. What did you think when you finally saw it? Yeah, so it was, I thought it was great. I thought it was uh, like 95% there. I mean, I had a few minor complaints um, I, I, and I, actually, I think I went and saw it. I I took the day off work, or I had, a, I had the day off. I had the day off work. Of she did. I don't remember this exact situation, but I, I I wound up taking a day off of work and seeing it during during the day. And it was probably a week or so after it opened because I really wanted to like see it with no one else in the theater. And um, which I guess since like no one saw it, that was not a problem. Yeah, it didn't take but. long for that to happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the. Um, I think I went home that day and I wrote like a very long blog review on it that day. And I, and I just was like, uh, I, I love that. I thought they captured the spirit of the show. I thought they got Hannibal uh, for the most part, right. He had a little bit, uh, he, had, he had a little bit more, actually all of them had a little bit more emotion I- involved in more, uh, invested into the situation that they were in, which I think was fine. Like, I think that stuff could have been, it could have been tweaked and been even more faithful to the show if we had gotten a sequel because we're past the origin story at that point. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, the casting was perfect. I actually uh, thought Rampage did a great job as BA. And I think the way they wrote BA was actually even better than Mr. T ever got, um, you know, the the original character ever got written. I think that was actually an improvement on, uh, on the way the show was. And, um, but it was it was also very fun, and there's all kinds of subtle things that they do um, that pay homage to the show. That's just peppered throughout, and I very very faithful. And those guys, if they not, they probably won't make a sequel, but if they do, I want all those behind the scenes guys back. Yeah, I, that was one of the things that really surprised me when I was reading reviews. Is that a common criticism was that it did not capture the spirit of the show, or did was mocking the eighties and didn't really understand what the show was about. And I'm with you, CT. I thought they got the essence of it 
Exactly. Oh, yeah. And, and updated yeah. it for a modern day. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't even like an 80s kind of thing. It was like that sort of, um, you know, it wasn't like a, a Brady Bunch situation where we're, uh, you know, poking right. fun at like, let's stick this family into the modern day and then poke fun at them. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, here's a 2010 version of what the A-Team would be like. Well, I think when they had the scene, you know, with the the tank and their, you know, the, <laughs> the tank comes up in the reviews a lot. That, <laughs> that sums it up, you know. The tank. That's the A team right there. They're trying to fly a freaking tank yes. in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and so what I, did I, you guys- I like. I like. They got the two. Like they got Howling Mad and Faceman back in the cameos, and I'm glad they put it at the end after the credits, and they didn't try to shoehorn them in, like in the middle. You know, in the uh, extended edition, there's a version that's got eight more minutes of of footage, and uh, there's actually there, there's a couple of complaints that I had about the movie that the uh, extended scenes actually fix for me. And oh. but one of the things they actually do is they take those things at the end and they stick them into the movie and give them the context. Oh, so it do- actually does work. Yeah. Okay. Because it, it kind of seemed out of place in the credits, so I was like, I'm glad they're there, because I don't see where it would have gone in the movie. Yeah, they were fun. Oh, okay. I may have to find that then. Well, that's an ideal segue to my question I was going to ask. You know, what, what did you think about things you might change? Um, so, CT, you said you had more than just the one, the cameos. What, what else did you have that you would like to see different? Um, I, or that was different in the extended. That was version, different in the extended version. I like there were some things with. Um, I mean, I think the guy like the relationship between Hannibal and Face. I really liked that, um, and I think that really did play off what was in the show. And there's like little subtle nods to that in the show, and they they picked up on that. But there were times where Hannibal was getting, he was losing his cool, he was getting angry about things, he didn't seem to always be in control. And those are things I would like to have seen uh, done a little bit different. And the only other thing I would have probably changed was when, um, in, during the tank scene, is that Hannibal should have been out there firing that tank off. Uh, firing, it, that, that's a Hannibal move, not a face move. But they had to have pretty boy Bradley Cooper out there doing it. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the whole I, I would movie agree with that. Made, yeah, the whole movie kind of made face almost Hannibal 2 in that, that, that move. That move. Yeah, like it was a more um, open sort of grooming. You could see where Face is really, you know, being instructed on how to become the next Hannibal. Yeah, yeah. I've got one other thing I would change. Um, you know, I think you're right, CT. The, the B.A. Baracus character had more depth in the movie, and that's good. I think it's necessary in 2010 to have a little bit more for him to do. I didn't really like the sort of finding religion when he was in prison. I didn't, I didn't mind the sort of like internal struggle about like, you know, when do you resort to violence and all that, but I didn't really buy the, the sort of spiritual awakening of one BA Baracus when they were in prison. They didn't really give that enough time. Probably. It did seem very like sudden and you're like, okay, what, what's going on here? Yeah, that seems like it would play better after you've established more of him as a fighter. And maybe like in the second or third movie it happens. How about you, Pax? Was there anything you would have liked to seen tweaked or done a little differently? Uh, for the most part, I mean, like CTZ, it was 95% there for me. I, 
I was very happy with it, and I, I mean, I, I just kind of was let it go, and I didn't really try to nitpick it too much. And I've seen it like twice since, and I mean, it just, I just enjoyed it. I mean, I can't nothing off the top of my head I could think of. I wish they had changed that because I, I, I really enjoyed it, and I really hope they. I would, I would love to see a sequel to it. How about you, Rondell? Any anything you'd want to see different, or are you just casting your vote for a sequel now? <laughs> I'm definitely up for a sequel. I think, um, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about the the non-core members, I think they could have used uh, Jessica Jessica Beale's character a little better. Um, I think it, you know, just like the other non-core members, you know, uh, Tani and, and Amy. I think she was almost there, but she was just kind of there. You know, it wasn't like she was utilized within the team dynamic it, it, i think she had potential there but they just in the script it, she just wasn't written to to fulfill any special role she was just kind of there yeah i understand what you're saying and with the movie there's always that risk of like overloading it like so many of the superhero movies where you've got the hero and the sidekick and the hero's girlfriend and you know we've got to yeah. give screen time to the to the alter identity and all this kind of stuff too but I mean that was that was really my only complaint was just you know e- either have her there and all there or you know not at all but I'm I'm definitely up for a sequel I think we're all up for a sequel but sadly I, it doesn't sound like we're going to get one I don't know I think it was some interviews last year I don't know if it was Bradley Cooper or somebody confirmed pretty much that the the plans for the sequel were off because the, the money did not come in to the extent that it needed to Sad. Yeah, if you, if, yeah, if you guys to bum uh, us all out, Jeech. I'm sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> if you guys, if any of you guys watched that show, uh, uh, Leverage, a couple episodes. It's 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 pretty good, and I kind of see it as like a modern modern version of uh, also of a team. They have kind of the same type of team members. These guys are convicts, or they're not convicts; they're cons, and they all have specific roles. And they they had something happen, and now they work together to help people against other bad people and it's kind of like kind of the a-team model and they and they did they do a lot of the things like i wanted the a-team to do like they have the an evil vert like the bad version of their team that they bump up against every once in a while and and stuff like that and it's a lot of fun and it reminds me a lot of the a-team ct and have have and i have had that show recommended to us by uh, our buddy plea I have not had a chance to watch it yet, though. Yeah, that may be a post-grad school project for myself. It's good. Um, it's good. I say give it a shot. I, I enjoy it, and, uh, and uh, it, it has a lot of the same characters and, and story types that A-Team did. There you go, people. It's an atomic pick bef- without doing atomic picks right there. <laughs> a nerd pick. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're probably not going to get a sequel, what do we think should be next for the a-team franchise a sequel ct you want more just do the sequel regardless <laughs> yeah well no i think i mean you asked the question what should be next for the a-team it should be a sequel but if they're not going to do a sequel which i guess fine be that way fate society um i think they should just put the franchise on hold give it some time come back in like five years try and do a uh a new TV series. Uh, by that point, I think Bruce Campbell would be uh, be even a little older. Well, he would be older if he's still alive. And uh, he <laughs> get him in for he'd be off burn notice probably by that point. 
get him in as Hannibal. There's your show. Wow. Huh. Just Bruce well, so- Campbell as Hannibal? That's, it. <laughs> That's all I have cast. I mean, like, <laughs> five years from now, I don't know who will be good choices necessarily, but... Um, but yeah, that's that's all I got. The H team, it'll just be Hannibal. <laughs> Get in like tr- Triple H for BA. Tri- <laughs> yeah, Triple H. Yes, based, based on his performance in Blade, uh, we're, we're in for some greatness there. Yeah. How about Rondel? What would you envision for a good next step for the A team franchise? I don't know. I mean, I thought Pax, uh, some of what he, he was saying earlier, he had some great ideas, you know, about having the two teams match up and just ways to modernize it, you know, for a, a new TV series. I think that would probably help any kind of sequel if it was able to get into, you know, to TV just even for one season just to build more interest and, you know, kind of flesh out the characters. That way people are prepared when, when a sequel comes out. Um, but, you know, combine and almost maybe like a, a leverage with, you know, like a burn notice. Um I would see it as a you know a mix up of those two shows. That would be where I would like to see it taken next. So you guys thinking like cable rather than heading back to? Uh, well, no one wants to be on NBC anymore, but <laughs> some some broadcast <laughs> network. Yeah, absolutely. I think it should definitely go cable. I mean, Perfect World. We get a sequel with all the cast back from the 2010 movie, but if the Douche air quotes. Number crunchers don't see it that way. Then, pa. <laughs> Maybe worst case scenario, they'll pitch it as a remake to the remake. <laughs> Do they a reboot like of the reboot. They, yeah, they seem to like doing remakes. So just remake the remake. Yeah. Get a sequel. <laughs> yeah, if we have to have something else, I'm with CT. Like build another show, um, cast another show, and and do that because I mean I, I definitely want to see these characters return in some fashion or another they're American icons they should be back yeah well modern TV is you know really ready for sort of that long form storytelling so you could do some of these longer arcs that we never ever saw with the A-team and so that could be a, a different way of, of doing the show that could be a lot more interesting yeah, because I think there's all, I mean, the, the way the original show was, it was very episodic, and you don't get a whole lot of backstory, which I think is part of the appeal, because you don't get mired down with soap opera stuff in the show, really. But I, I could see a modern a modern version of it getting getting into that, getting into like, oh, here we find out that uh, Hannibal has a wife, or whatever, you know, it's like just weird stuff and that, that they would throw in. I mean, I think I still have concerns about a, a modern retelling if they were to continue on, even a sequel, even even an eight-team sequel, I think I would still have concerns about it. Even though I want it, I would still have concerns about it. Um, just because I, I would be worried about where they would take it all. Maybe, maybe Michael Bay could come in and do the sequel for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eight-team versus Transformers. Oh, my. That's, versus um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Can we do that, yeah. too? You're welcome, Hollywood. <laughs> Hannibal wins, by the way. <laughs> yes, he wins. Hannibal will. always wins. I don't know that Donatello guy. He's pretty smart, from what I understand. The E-Team would weld together their own Transformer. <laughs> Out of other Transformers. It would be amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine that GMC van ch- changing? 
<laughs> that would be Into amazing. a robot? <laughs> <laughs> the A Terminator. My mind is blown now, I think. Yeah, I know. Let's, let's save the, the details for our next fan fiction episode, though. We'll come back <laughs> with that one. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts on the A-team? It's good, yeah? Yeah, I like it. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. Quintessential 80s. Give it a shot because it is awesome if you've never seen it. So my idea for the sequel is very simple. It's um, take the Heath Ledger Joker character or somebody like that and put him up against Hannibal. There you go. So like he's like going to like blow like up that, a city or something? Like, like a, that character archetype kind of like, like that? Like he's that crazy, but he's still like, okay, so for me, I think Hannibal, like in the, the line between crazy and genius, Hannibal yes. is just, he is right on that line, but like, but leaning towards genius where the Joker from, especially from the, uh, the dark Knight, he is on that line, but he is on the crazy side. So what if the two go up against each other and it's crazy versus genius? Yes. Again, a lot lot of potential. (laughs) All right, gentlemen. So if there's nothing else, we will wrap it up this week with our nerd to do's and we will start with you CT. Okay. I actually, I have several things I want to uh, mention real quick. Briefly, update on the action figures front, no change. So, so uh, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still out there. I'm still looking. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up until I get them. Because I'm gonna get. I was gonna I, say, do you just want to pre-record this one for every week? So, right. Well, I mean, there was. I, I got, I got very close to pulling the trigger on an eBay purchase, uh, and and decided against it. But uh, it, that's that's maybe uh, what's what's on the horizon here, just to get it over with. But. And I've been pounding the pavement for you too, Carl. Thank you, thank you. Um, I'm going to add something to my to-do list and then cross it off because I like doing that with to-do lists. I uh, meant to mention last week that I was going to uh, be trying one of the Doritos Locos Tacos, and uh, I did, and I like it. Um, I was a little disappointed in it, um, probably just because I'd worked myself up for it. So I want to try it again and see if my expectations can have changed, you know, have changed what, um, what I think of it. But the uh, taco shell itself was what was disappointing that the flavoring was there. It was the right Dorito flavor, but the shell did not have that crispy, bubbly Dorito esque, um, texture uh, that I expected. Um, I also need to also uh, had mentioned several episodes ago that I was going to start watching Miami Vice and I have finally started that, but I'm only like a half an hour into it. So <laughs> what do you think <laughs> so far? Pretty good. <laughs> and then the other thing I'm going to uh, add to my list is uh, I love I love the Angry Birds and there's I just downloaded some new levels on uh, Angry Birds and Angry Birds Rio and then come um, two days from the time of this recording a new Angry Birds game called Angry Birds Space is coming out, and I'm going to uh, get that and uh, play me some Angry Birds in my free time. I'll save it for after the show. Pax, <laughs> what are your nerd to do? Um, update from last week, I read the Solomon Kane uh, novelization of the movie that never came out here in America. Um, looks like it could be a very strong B-movie definitely much better than Conan that did show up here. Um, I am in the process of acquiring the DVD, so hopefully soon I will get that movie and finally be able to watch it, and I can end this. Um, 
<laughs> I can end this finally. Yeah, I could just end this obsession so and finally just watch it. It's been since I, I mean I remember when it was being made, so it's been a while since waiting for this movie to come out. Um, so finally, hopefully that'll be coming to an end here. And then um, I've I finished Oz Book Three, so that uh, review should be going up very soon on the blog. Continuing my reading of the Bomb novels, Bomb is out of his mind. These these stories are wow. They are like next level bananas, and uh, it's actually kind of fun to read. I've been I've been really enjoying them. And um, uh, do I have anything else? Oh, uh, I should be uh, continuing. I'm also reading um, the novelizations of the Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth novels uh, for for future blog stuff. So. I will be starting more of those uh, next week, this past week, this coming week also. So. I think we just time traveled there. I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you, Rondell? I am actually starting a hunt for um, the vintage 80s uh, trading cards. Uh, after the news of the possible uh, remake of Garbage Pail Kids, I am in the process of trying to reacquire not only those, but trash trolls um, and and any other trashy, junky, gross-out kind of trading card that I could find. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just starting out that journey, so it's a, it's a long road ahead. Were trash trolls like the the trolls with the with the little hair action figure guys, or was that something else? They, they were those mixed with garbage fill kids so you had you know like uh uh i don't know upset tummy tommy and so it would be a troll with like you know just his guts just spilling out or something they were they were pretty nasty <laughs> but they were uh you know they were they were of that time where you know gross out stuff was was awesome you know you stick it on your trapper keeper and gross out your teacher <laughs> so i'm i'm in the process of reliving that part of my youth Cool. I have limited uh, nerd to-dos. As uh, I mentioned last episode, I've got a bunch of real-life things going on that are sort of limiting my my nerding activities. But uh, one thing I'm going to uh, find some time uh, this upcoming weekend is to watch Ip Man 2, which is a uh, martial arts movie, the sequel to Ip Man, as you might guess, uh, with Donnie Yen. Uh, and this one has uh, CT's guy Sammo Hung actually in it. He was a fight choreographer for the first ones, but uh, was not actually on screen. So I'm looking forward to seeing Sammo. I haven't watched anything with him in it in quite a while. Why, why probably, is Sammo uh, my guy? Because <laughs> we love martial law, man. You love Sammo. He was yeah. Your... No, I love I love. Him. I just was like suddenly he's like my guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> okay. Right. He's he's, awesome. It could have been worse. I could have given you Arsenio Hall no, out of that right. pair. You're right. You're so. right. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm going to watch Ip Man 2, and that'll probably be, be about it for my recreation for the next uh, week or so. But uh, I'll take care of it. The next uh, little part of our closing here is uh, the game we like to call Where Can We Find You on the Internet? So we'll let uh, our guest Rondel start off this time. Where can we find you on the Internet? <laughs> You can find me at uh, strangekidsclub.com and 8bitzombie.com. All right, Pax, where can we find you on the internets? 
Uh, you can find my blog at cavalcadeofawesome.net. Um, you can find me on the Twitter at Paxton Holly, P-A-X-T-O-N-H-O-L-L-E-Y, and on Flickr under the same name, Paxton Holly. CT, where can we find you on the internet? On Twitter, I am at NerdLunch. And then other stuff, which I assume you'll talk about. No, I refuse to talk about the blog at nerdlunch.net, where you can find both CT and I writing things occasionally. You can also find me on Twitter at nerdlunchjeej, J-E-E-G, nerdlunchjeej. And you can also find us on iTunes and Zune uh, to grab this show. And if you're getting it through one of those great services, even Zune is such a great service, be sure to leave us a review. Uh, Give us a rating. Leave us a review. It helps people find the show. It helps us uh, move up rankings maybe someday 10 or 20 years in the future. But anyway, please leave us a review. We love that. And while you're on iTunes, be sure to grab our brother podcast on the Atomic Geeks Network, The Atomic Geeks. And I believe one of the geeks is here to give us a little hint about what they're talking about this week. Hello, Nerd Lunch listeners. This is Michael DiGiovanni of the Atomic Geeks podcast. And next week on our show, the Atomic Geeks are going to war. Find it on iTunes and at www.theatomicgeeks.com or net or org. Well, that sounds interesting to say the least. That's going to do it for our episode this week. Be sure to come back next week where we will be doing a little thing we call the Nerdy Lunchy Bucket List. I don't know if that means Adam Sandler is involved at all, but uh, we shall see. I love it when a podcast comes together, although I'm not sure this one did. We'll see how the editing goes. But anyway, see you guys next week. Kabla. This has been Nerd Lunch, a part of the Atomic Geeks Podcasting Network. Nerd Lunch theme by Rick Jackson. Music by Flannel Time. Please place all trash in the receptacle. Thank you. What, um, what were you going to say about Angry Birds? I, I just do not get Angry Birds at all. Like I'm baffled by by that phenomenon. Okay, it's the struggle between birds. <laughs> Indeed, it is.